Hello and welcome to the Bjerknes podcast. I'm Stephen Alton here with my colleague Ingil Pilskog and we work for the Bjerknes Centre for Climate Research. Today we're talking about climate prediction, a relatively new field that has gained increasing attention over the last 10 years. Near-term climate prediction is one of the grand challenges of the World Climate Research Programme. But what exactly is climate prediction and what are its potential benefits to society? We're joined today by Helena Langehoek, a researcher at the Nansen Centre here in Bergen, a member of the new Björkness Climate Prediction Unit and co-organiser of a recent international workshop on climate prediction. Helena, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So, what exactly is climate prediction? Yeah, so climate prediction, that can give you answer on questions such like um, what will be the climate in Norway a couple of years ahead? Will it be drier summers uh, during the next years? Um, will it be warmer than normal the, the next season? So you see that it has um, uh, many similarities with weather forecasting. Um, weather forecasting, then you are predicting or forecasting uh, what will happen uh, some days ahead, uh, a week ahead, maximum a week ahead. Uh, so climate prediction is also about predicting or forecasting what will happen a season ahead, maybe years ahead and up to a decade ahead. Um, and as you know with weather forecasts, um, it's really dependent on what the situation is in the atmosphere when you start your forecast. So you know that if you see a low pressure in the Norwegian Sea, it is really essential what the forecast will be the day after or the following days. And it's the same with the climate predictions. It's, uh, but then it's not so much about the atmospheric state, but more about the ocean state or the climate state. It's really dependent on what is the situation in the ocean. And by using that, we can be able to predict some years ahead. Um, I could also say that there's a confusion about or mix up between what is climate prediction and climate projection. And uh, climate projection, then we try to say something about the climate that will happen 50 or 100 years ahead. Um, and then the starting point or the initial state, when you start your forecast, that uh, signal will be lost with uh, 50 or 100 years ahead. So, um, so this is more similar to what's discussed in the IPCC reports where they talk about uh, future temperatures, global temperatures in 2050 or 2100 and how it's going to change by one and a half, two degrees. Yeah. This is more climate projection, yes. which is longer term. Yeah. But the difference isn't just on the window length. It's not purely how long ahead you're looking. It's not climate prediction if you're just looking with a climate model five years into the future. There's actually more to it than that in terms of how you actually do it. Yes, that's true. So the climate projection um, are really dependent on the boundary forcing or external forcing. So it's, uh, it's um, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's not dependent on the initial conditions, but it's the boundary. So that means the, how much CO2, CO2 is in the atmosphere. Um, what, are there any volcanic eruptions? Um, uh, and also the solar radiance coming into the, to the Earth. Um, but climate prediction is really what is important for that is the 
climate stand, state when you start the forecast. So in this way, it means that climate prediction is both an initial value problem and also a boundary value pr problem. So how the forecast will look like some years ahead is dependent on what you start from, and it's also dependent on the external foreseeing. So in that regard, climate prediction shares a lot more in common with sort of weather forecasting yeah. than uh, climate modelling. Yeah. Um, so, interesting enough, but what exactly are the benefits to society? Potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah potentially. If we reach to get skillful climate prediction, this can be useful for... Uh, I have to say long-term planning for maybe for farming, for the energy sector. So by knowing if it will be drier or wetter than normal, the maybe next season, that will be uh, important information for the uh, like insurance companies, but also for hydropower. Um, so it yeah. So there are several several things that could be useful if the predictions are skillful. How exactly are you working on this? You're developing a new model, is that correct? Uh, yeah, so this uh, large project that was started in uh, 2018, the Bjerknes Climate Prediction Unit, they are really working on developing or improving the Norwegian climate prediction model. So it bears similarities with our weather forecasting model. Just to be clear, we already have the Norwegian Earth System model, which is NORESM, mm. but the Norwegian Climate Prediction model, NORCPM, uh, this is the same model. Yes, so uh, the Norwegian Climate Prediction model is built on the Earth System model, uh, but the major difference is that the Norwegian Climate Prediction model is synchronized with observation. So it's, uh, it's coming back to what I talked about in the beginning, that the the state of the climate or the ocean uh, is really important for the prediction. So you could say that the, the major difference is, how, is that we are feeding the model with observations or synchronizing it with observation and then you do the prediction. Whereas these climate projection with the Norwegian Earth System model, uh, they do not are not fed by observation in that way. So... So you're always forcing the model to adhere to real observations. Yeah, yes. So this is something that's ongoing with the uh, climate projection models with the climate model. What's happening is you give it initial conditions of what the world looks like, the state of the climate, and then it runs freely into the future. Yeah. And it has forcing such as solar or volcanic and, of course, CO2. Mm. But with your climate prediction model, you actually bring in um, observations on a regular basis. Is that correct? So you're simulating data. Yeah, that's correct. So, um, so how it was done for the, how to say the CMIP five? That was the climate uh, simulations that went to the the last IPCC report. CMIP five is the coupled model intercomparison project. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And. In that one, that was the first time when the climate prediction were uh, also part of this intercomparison. And uh, because before they had the historical simulation and the projections, but now also predictions were included to, so that we can com compare uh, between different models. And, and then the observations were introduced uh, or assimilated into the model every fifth year. And then uh, the the model was freely run about 10 years ahead. 
but now for the next, so for the CMIP6, the next phase, then uh, observations are introduced every year. So this will now give you a lot more data and hopefully more kind of robust uh, results. So the model in that sense is being much more restrained to what's really happening in the real world. Yeah, yes. And uh, the CMIP5, that was what was used for the previous IPCC assessment report, mm -hmm. but the CMIP6, that's for the new report coming out. Yes, yeah. So running this new North CPM, this climate prediction model, how do you validate that? How do you verify that it's giving you good results? Yeah, so, so um, then we usually are um, predicting the past, so, and that we call Heinecast. And what was done for this CMIP5 project, then uh, predictions were done for the period 1950 and up to now. And, and for that period, we have a lot of observations, so we can really see if the, if the predictions are correct or not. Um, so this is how we can check how well the models or climate prediction models are doing. But there are various, various ways of, of seeing, or how to say, to compare it against observation. And what we're working in this practice climate prediction unit is to have a more kind of process-oriented way of uh, measuring how well it compares with observations or not. So the typical way is like that you do statistical scores, like just looking at the correlation. So if the changes in observations and model are changing the same way. And, uh, but uh, maybe more interesting is to look at it more mechanistic. And that is to see if we find the same mechanism in the model as we see in the nature or in observations. So like if you're predicting sort of like say uh, a period where there are coming a lot of low pressure uh, fronts in towards our area, our region, then you can see if this is actually what we observe later on. At the, is that how you're validating it or? Uh, so you mean if this low pressure were coming into our region and this was happening in the past? No, like, like when you're validating uh, that the model is working, then you are like you're running and you can see in the model, okay, around then it should be, it should come like several low pressure uh, fronts coming in. And then you can, and then you observe that, that, okay, yeah, it's actually happened. Maybe not on the exact date, but around the same period of time. Is that how it's worked? Or? Oh, yeah, you mean for this mechanistic way of looking yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. That's n Maybe it doesn't have the correct timing, but you can see if the process is uh, represented in the model. Mm. So how long time does it take for a low pressure to go from the sub uh, or more southern region and up to, to Norway, for instance? So, so I could say that for the atmosphere in these climate prediction, that has not been uh, very much looked at. Mm. Uh, so far, it has been a lot of focus on the ocean uh, to see if uh, we are able to predict changes in the ocean. And so far, it, uh, it looks very promising for the North Atlantic region. That's the perhaps the most kind of uh, region where you see that initializing a model gives really good results. Mm. Um, so kind of one of the challenges or, or things that we will look more at in, into the 
into the next, uh, how to say, the next period, is more on how the atmosphere is represented in these climate predictions. Mm. This is going to be quite a challenge, though, because uh, one of the features known in NORESM and in many of the climate models is that they have a not wonderful, we'll say, uh, representation of the North Atlantic storm tracks. So the low pressure systems tend to be uh, too zonal. They're coming too much across in sort of mid-latitude or southern Europe rather than coming up north towards the Greenland, Iceland, Scotland Ridge in this direction. So how will that affect um, climate prediction? Does the CPM yeah. still have that problem in it? Mm. Yeah, that's right. And it, it's not only like these shortcomings are in the atmosphere, but also we see those similar things in the ocean. Uh, for instance, like the North Atlantic uh, current mm. is also have kind of typically a zonal direction in climate models. Um, and also you mentioned this green and Scotland Ridge. Yeah. This is kind of a very subsea ridge and it seems difficult to kind of transport uh, signals from the North Atlantic, the big basin, and then into the Nordic Sea across this subsea ridge. So these are kind of challenges that are in the ocean that we are also working on how that can be improved um, in the climate model. I, I could just maybe say that uh, uh, for this subsea ridge, uh, the Greenland Scotland Ridge, that seems to be a barrier for uh, passing signals to the north, that can perhaps be better with a higher resolution model. Exactly yeah. what I was going to okay. ask, because yeah. that's uh, that I know is one problem in the, uh, a lot of the these climate models are that there are a lot of these fine geographical structures that can uh, affect that is not not a good resolution in the uh, in the models per now, but. So you, you are hoping that better resolution will improve this part? Yeah, and there we have already done a study uh, maybe a year ago, and then we saw that having a higher resolution in the ocean, that gives you more realistic ocean currents, and thereby making it, uh, how to say, allowing signals from the south to be better, how to say, transported north to the Nordic seas and towards the Arctic. Mm. What exactly is the resolution of the ocean? In nor ESM and nor CPM, is there a difference? Have you improved the resolution? Uh, so by now it's the same resolution. So that's uh, one degree by one degree. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, what we uh, want to do as the next step is more to look at a quarter degree, res so quarter degree by quarter degree mm -hmm. resolution. So that brings it down to a horizontal resolution of about 25 yes. kilometres. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So there seems to be a lot of um, outstanding challenges with this. Um, one limitation is that currently you're working with North CPM, which is a single model. Um, as I understand it, the multiple models, different models, might show skill in different areas, but they don't necessarily agree on where they're skillful. Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I, so... Previous uh, studies have shown that for the North Atlantic, like the subpolar North Atlantic, uh, most of the models agree that this is a region where it's possible to predict what will happen in the ocean. So bo uh, most of the models agree on that. Um, but it's true for different regions, it can be some models are more skillful than others. And f uh, for the Norwegian climate prediction model, we are really focusing in the Atlantic Arctic domain, so trying to improve the model in that region. And I guess maybe for other models, they will more focus on their region to improve 
it in how to say the close region for that uh, modeling center so one area of course of interest for many of the listeners will be the nordic sea regions um, the climate prediction would actually be useful to things like fish stock distributions yeah. and so on. Yes, yeah, and that's, uh, uh, as mentioned, it's uh, like in the ocean we see the most promising results. So if you are able to predict the upper ocean heat content, that could uh, help maybe to understand mm. like the place or distribution of fish stocks, for instance. So you've mentioned a few times this new Bjerknes Climate Prediction Unit, but uh, climate prediction is not something that's, of course, limited to Norway or to the Bjerknes Centre. It's an international effort. Mm, yeah. Um, so how was the new international workshop that was hosted here? Uh, was it a success? Were there many um, unexpected results? Were good ideas presented for solving some of these problems? Yeah, yeah, it was a very good workshop. It, in the beginning of this month, I think it was maybe more than 50 people joining the workshop. Uh, so it uh, organized jointly by this BCPU or the Bjarknes Climate Prediction Unit and the EU Modeling Cluster so, uh, or Climate Modeling Cluster. So it was also a focus on climate modeling de development. Um, and one issue, like, uh, like a future challenge, is about computational costs. Because when you go down in resolution, or how to say, higher resolution, uh, yes. let's say that you... Um, double the resolution this gives you 10 times more computational costs so that's an enormous computational cost uh, so that's uh, for the resolution but when you do climate prediction you also need to produce a lot of ensemble members so it yes. means that you create a lot of simulations for each time uh, you start the forecast so an ensemble member is when we're starting the model and we run it multiple times but you make very subtle very small fluctuations yeah. at the beginning and you just let those grow throughout so that gives you some idea of what the model spread is the model area yeah exactly yes yeah um, because there are a lot of uncertainty in the initial conditions so by slightly changing the initial condition you can have uh, how to say different outcomes and to see the uncertainty um, but this to create a sufficient uh, number of ensemble members this also uh, costs a lot like computational costs so there's kind of a um, um, discussion on how many ensemble members needed um, in and also how uh, high resolution do you need so really really need to find out what is the best yeah. way so, so that was one of the things that we discussed at the workshop just for the record uh, at this workshop was at the beginning of june 2019 Yes, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so there seems to be a lot of activity, a lot of uh, directions to go and a lot of challenges. Uh, let's just step back for a moment and talk a little bit about you. Um, how did you become a researcher? Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's see. So um, when I started uh, at university, I didn't know anything about oceanography. I, didn't, I guess I didn't know what a PhD was. So it was to become an oceanographer has really been along an unknown path. It's just taking step by step and choosing what I find most motivating. Um, so here I'm sitting now. So, that's, yeah. so you've trained as an oceanographer, um, not as a climate modeler in yeah. essence. But as you say, in climate prediction, a large part of it is coming down to what the ocean is doing. Mm -hmm. So this has really set you up well for 
moving into this new field of climate prediction. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm happy about that. I started with more kind of traditional type of uh, oceanography, working with water masses in the ocean, and then more as I turned to my PhD, it was more about climate variability in the Nordic seas, and then went off with um, climate prediction. So it's uh, yeah. So we're approaching the end of our podcast here. A um, couple of quick questions then. What do you see as the future of climate prediction? The future of climate prediction um, is very exciting, especially for scientists, to see how far we can reach with this. How skillful can the climate prediction be? Um, and if we reach that it's uh, skillful so that it can be useful, it will be even more exciting for the society, hopefully. A little prediction then, if I can press you for it. Um, when do you think that climate prediction will become skillful enough to actually be made operationally available to people and businesses? Yeah. Um, for the ocean, it's already promising results that could be used. Um, but then coming to the atmosphere, what happens over land, uh, this... Um, uh, yeah, how, when will it be skillful? Uh, it, it's not sure that we can really uh, be able to make skillful predictions over land. We do not know yet this. Um, but there is already a lot of focus on how um, this, uh, how climate prediction can go into a kind of operational phase. Uh, so many people are working trying to understand how to communicate with other fields. Um, um, so this really is uncharted territory you're exploring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm Stephen Alton. Um, My name is Ingel Pilskog. And uh, we'd like to thank Helena for joining us today. Yeah. And that's the end of our podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Du har nu lyttet til en podcast fra Bjerkne Centeret for Klimaforskning. Bjerkne Centeret er et partnerskap mellom Universitet i Bergen, Norwegian Research Center NORS, Nansen Centeret for Miljø og Fjernmåling og Havforskningsinstituttet. Musikken er av Lee Rosevere, Arcade Montage, under Creative Commons Lisens, BY 3.0. Podcasten er redigert av mig, Ingel Pilskog, førsteamenuensis i naturfag ved Høgskolen på Vestlandet.